back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, very um, fortunate, I think, to bring two entrepreneurs here who um, have finally had the opportunity to say that they've exited business. Um Many of y'all have known Rob Cummings and Ben Harrison over the years. They're obsessed with Deal Cloud. Um, but I was fortunate and uh, lucky to be able to sit down with both of them. Actually, Ben dialed in. Rob was there with me. Um, and do a podcast now that their exit's complete. Um, as many of y'all know, they sold off to NTAP in uh, August of 2018. And just a chance to kind of sit down with them and reflect back on what the ride was like. Um, they were gracious enough to share a couple of funny stories, um, as you'll hear them in the podcast, of you know, what the early days of Hustle really means. Um, um, you know, and just a kind of a good look back with both of them. Uh, just a solid hour-long discussion about um, startup life and life in Charlotte and what's looking ahead and everything else. So really, really good interview with the two of them. Thanks so much to Rob and Ben for carving out some time to do it. Um, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but I just want to recap out loud for a few minutes. Um, you know, it's that time of year where we kind of start to look back and figure out the things to be thankful for, or to be grateful for, and um, you know, count the blessings that are in our lives. And as a community of people who are in interested in watching Charlotte succeed as a startup hub. I think 2018 has been a very positive year. It's something we can all look back on as pretty much a year of phenomenal growth. So just to highlight some of the things that happened in 2018 in the startup world. Again, Deal Cloud became a true exit story um, as they sold off in 2018. Um, Passport raised a a nice bucket of money earlier this year as well. Um, Well on their way to becoming another unicorn here in Charlotte. Um, Trisada raised money at a unicorn status. Um, Venture for America has stuck around with Charlotte for another year. Welcomed, I think, another eight fellows back to the Charlotte area. Um, Start Charlotte and Innovate Charlotte both received nice, um, I believe it was $100,000 grants from NCI Idea, which will help propel their growth um, and kind of cement their place in Charlotte's startup ecosystem. Um, locals like Skipper and Rabu, um, among other local startups, were able to raise money both here and afar. Um, Collective Hustle with Sam Smith and, and Aru have done a, a fantastic job, um, and two other women have done a fantastic job to make entrepreneurship and investing more accessible. Um, Seed the South, again, another Collective Hustle initiative, um, is, is moving along with an event on January 9th 2019. Um, Scott Pope and a couple other people are putting um, North Carolina kind of healthcare innovation on the map. Um, Greg Brown with the Charlotte Angel Fund has continued to march that organization forward. Uh, Mac Lackey and things with Venture South, just another successful year for those guys. So there's a lot, a lot happening here in the Charlotte um, ecosystem that I think we all should look at. And yeah, you look and compare to other places and realize that we've got a long ways to go. Um, but you look back to, you know, you know, 2000 or even more recently, 2012, when, when Dan Roselli started Packer Place and ecosystem and, and everything that surrounds it has come so far over the course of the last six or seven years. So um, really great growth year for Charlotte. Um, I think in a lot of ways, Charlotte got 
um, put a little bit of bigger dot on the map as far as ecosystems for startup goes. So um, yeah, we all want to make uh, improvements in 2019, but uh, 2018 is a is a great way to look back. And again, you know, looking back, I think one of the best ways to look back is to wrap up this year with this podcast with with Ben Harrison and Rob Cummings talking about their exit with Deal Cloud. So certainly hope you enjoy the podcast and. You know, don't forget when you're done listening or while you're listening, if you could rate it on um, on iTunes or on Google Play, um, give it a rating, hopefully a five-star rating, not that I'm trying to bribe anybody, but a five-star rating with a, with a few words that uh, kind of indicate what you get out of it would be super helpful. So thanks again for a fantastic year here on the Charlotte Angel Connection, and we look forward to having you back next year. We'll have Bill DeLisandro with Element Brands element brands um sam smith with vision and seed the south slash um and collective hustle um we've got a lot of really good podcasts lined up for you to start off 2019 so everybody stay safe happy holidays happy new year and look forward to bringing you more great content content in 2019 all right rob and ben thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today excited to kind of get this ball rolling a little bit good to be here yeah so, yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, so Ben, we, we've had um, Rob on the podcast before us telling you all a few minutes ago, ago cringeworthy listening to episode eight this morning, um, but certainly excited to have, you know, you on the show as his co-founder and um, kind of get y'all's perspective now that you've exited um, or at least sold out from Deal Cloud. So <clears throat> can y'all talk about that experience. So I want to start on the. I want to start in the end first. What's it like selling a company that oh. you started, right? <laughs> yeah, Rob, you want to go first? I, no, no, go ahead, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it, it, it's interesting, um, and it's a fair question. The, the funny thing about our business, and and really the the backgrounds of a lot of our team, are that we. We built a, a, a technology and a software um, to help owners of businesses kind of run and manage the process of, of, of buying and selling their companies. So I think if you look at the core of our offering and, and what we've built from a software standpoint, it's really interesting because it overlaps with the concept of building a company and, 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 and exiting it or, or growing it to um, – to that next round of investors and partners. And I think it's it's a little surreal because we we spend our day with our execution team here um, focused on delivering the solution that helps people every single day, you know, build and exit companies. Um, you know, all of our private equity and venture and growth equity clients um, you use DealCloud to do that really on a, on a week-in and week-out basis. And um, so it's, it's kind of surreal when you, you've created enough value, I think, in the market that you're serving where, um, where somebody takes interest in, in the company to the, to, at a level where, where you have an opportunity to, um, you know, to create an exit for your investors and, 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 um, and shareholders. And so it was a super exciting process to go through. It, it can be, I think, um, it's a lot of fun because you, you end up with a new set of investors and a new set of partners to help take the business to the next level. Um, but at the same time, it can be a, a pretty stressful um, 
couple months because you're um, focusing on on running and, and continuing to execute the business day to day, but you, you're also you know in the middle of a diligence process with um, some potential new new investors, um, and so you're you're pulling double duty as you get there towards the the finish line and, and think about um, think about creating some type of exit or, or recap there. So it, um, super exciting time, but it was a, it was certainly a lot of work, I'd say. Yeah, the, only, the the way I'd summarize it, it's it's letting your baby go. Yeah. Um, and what's uh, what's interesting for me is that my daughter went to college, went off to college the same week that we closed on the deal. Okay. So two of my babies exited exited the nest. And uh, but it's a little bit different too, though, right? One baby's still costing you money on the exit, and the other one brought money in. <laughs> the other one paid off. Yeah. No. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's absolutely 110 percent still on the payroll. So. Yeah. You're right about that. I got a couple more years there. So, um, but y'all are PE guys, right? I mean, you've seen exits before. What did you learn about the exit process as entrepreneurs that you didn't know um, or felt too too far removed from as actual investors? You know, I've done I've done a couple talks since uh, the transaction, and you know, you see it on the other side as investors, but uh, you know, when you're doing the docs for 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 us, it was our Series C, Series D, but really it's the it was our A and B. You need to pay attention to liquidation preferences because the way the money flows becomes a it becomes really real when um, you have investors, you have employees that have um, you know options in the business, and then you know Ben and I ourselves as the founders, um, it makes a difference. Um, so the advice I've been giving people uh, as I've been talking is have a really good M&A attorney sitting at your side. Not only is that attorney a reflection of you, um, but he or she needs to know what they're doing and advise you the right way. And, and we, had, we had a good M&A attorney, and um, obviously we're in the business. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, Ben more so than me being a deal guy, but, you know, knew where to push back, knew, knew how to structure the deal, the deal before the deal. Um, in order to to make it right for our investors, our founders, and our employees. Yeah, makes sense. Ben, anything on your end? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, the, the interesting thing about you know taking a, a business through these cycles, where you know you may start with some early stage investors or some growth investors, and, and end up with some folks who are investing in the business at a later stage and, and, and really looking to, to take it to a whole new scale. Um, I think the most important thing for, for entrepreneurs to probably consider is, you know, make sure you're building um, the team and the infrastructure um, that's defensible to take the company to the next level. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you if you have a transaction or something, some people can exit the business or, or things like that. But ultimately, the the investors and the underwriters and, and the next deal are are underwriting, you know, growing that company significantly. And and so I think one of the things that um, is so exciting about Deal Cloud and this company is we had really invested heavily in our team um in our in our technology and processes where we felt like you know with the, with the right partners we can double triple quadruple the business over the next you know 5 to 10 years and so i think 
you know, as you get to these kind of inflection points with, with these companies, it's, it's really critical um, th that there's some scale and some structure in place to achieve that scale. Um, and, and I think that's really important to future investors and, and, and buyers of businesses. So um, we, fortunately, we had a lot of that in place and, and our, um, our board and our investors were, were very cognizant in helping us make those decisions over the past four to five years to make sure we were ready. Um, we were ready when the time came. Which is a good point, right? I mean, you've sold the business now, Rob, you're, you're out completely. Are you still the director or are you going? No, no, the, uh, the board of directors was dissolved. Okay. Um, so, you know, NTAP, uh, which is the acquiring company has a, has their own board of directors. Okay. So, um, uh, no, I'm completely out. Ben can talk about his situation yeah. still as the chief revenue officer of the business. So what's the future of it now, Ben, right? I mean, now there's owned by NTAP. What's, what's the future of DealCloud and what's it like now that you've sold your, you know, you're kind of an employee now, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's really exciting. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, the business has grown, I think, about um, – we uh, we we merged the companies in, in August and we're um, almost December first here, and the business is, has grown really I think 30 to 40 percent almost just since the the time of the merger. And um, there's some really exciting things about the company I think that are, are going to allow it to move to the next level. So first and foremost, I mean. Intap is a is a very large technology company based out of Palo Alto. Um, they have an incredible management team. Uh, the CEO is a guy named John Hall, who was a founder of um, VA Linux Systems, which is a very famous technology company. Um, Steve Robertson's the CFO, and he's a, a very strong financier with a, a pretty decorated history um, in this market. And you know, we've got great, large, strong investors backing the combined businesses. So um, interestingly enough, I mean, the way the, the transaction came together, um, there's a, a firm in Boston called Great Hill Partners, which is a client of DealCloud, um, hmm. and they also owned NTAP, um, the business we, we merged with. So they had this vision that, you know, our, our product offerings and technology offerings were very complementary. Um, and in fact, that, that's that's true. I mean, we've we've been running into the NTAP product suite, and a lot of our financial services kind of clients. Um, so we'll go into a lot of these large banks or, or you know asset managers, and we'll we'll see their product suite. So they've got some really interesting tools for um, compliance processes and conflict check processes and managing um, documents. And there's a lot of artificial intelligence that sits on top of their product suite. And so what we've been able to do in, in combination is, is really um, go into the market that we've been serving and, and provide a much broader suite of products and, and, and really a much bigger value proposition um, in a lot of these firms. And, and that has, you know, even in the short time that we've been together over the past kind of four to five months, that's really coming to fruition um, with with a lot of our new clients that we've uh, that we've been able to sign up over the, the past couple months. So we're thrilled about the combination, and um, you know, in in the same same vein, Intap is one of the largest technology providers into the legal legal services market, 
and we have been able to take the Deal Cloud CRM and deal management platform um, and, and take that technology and, and repurpose it for the legal legal market. Um, it's a very flexible and configurable technology, and um, you, you know it's it, it, it's interesting because a lot of the transactions that we service in the in the financial world, the, the lawyers that work on those transactions have a very similar motion um, in terms of the type of software they need to support their processes. So we've also, in addition to kind of expand our product suite in the financial services market, we've also been able to, to cross-sell um, and, and expand back towards the legal services market. So what's happened is we've really opened up the addressable market of the combined businesses. And I think, you know, as we look at the next the next stage for the business, the, you know, as you open that addressable market up, it just it becomes easier to kind of grow, grow and expand and achieve some of those um, – some of those growth numbers that are that our our investors are looking for. Yeah. So was this um, so y'all raised two previous rounds, right? You did a five million raise and then a smaller raise a couple like soon thereafter. Was this acquisition teed up by by those or not really? Um, and when I say teed up, was there a, um, a strategic buyer that kind of made this all kind of start to go in the right direction? Or was it just a natural deal clouds growing in tab was a nice partner forward and somebody new to put you together? Yeah, really, really the latter. Um, you know, I mean, the, the story is pretty, pretty interesting. We were, um, we were working with Great Hill Partners um, as a deal cloud client and, and spending a lot of time with them getting the software installed and, and implemented for their firm. And, and they, they took a liking to it and said, you know, hey guys, this is this is a really strong tool. And I think as they learned more about the technology stack and they learned how configurable the tool was, they realized that um, it, it could be applied to a lot of different markets. And be, because they were owners and investors in in Intap um, and, and had been in the boardroom with with that team for you know many years over their ownership. They realized that there was a very big opportunity in the legal services market to um, take this product and, and really disrupt some of the legacy technologies that have been that have been served in the legal market. Um, so, unlike a lot of these transactions where you have an investment banker who will represent a business and market that business for sale, this was a, a little bit of an unexpected, um, very quick merger of the two businesses, just based on the strategic value of the two companies that. Um, you know, kind of all the parties saw together. So then y'all weren't necessarily looking to sell in August. It just kind of, it fell into your lap. It did. We, um, the, the plans were to actually go the other route that uh, Ben talked about. We were probably going to hire an advisor, a banker um, in 2019 and, uh, you know, go through a process to sell the business. This was a, uh, I think Rick, our CEO, raised it to the board in April that a uh, unsolicited offer could be coming. Um, sure enough, I think uh, three or four weeks later it came in. Um, we weren't interested in selling at the time, but uh, uh, it became pretty compelling offer um, through some back and forth. And uh, so we entered into diligence right around June 1st. Okay. Um, so typical diligence process runs 60 to 90 days. We were 
I think we were maybe 70 days okay. um, start to finish. And as Ben alluded to earlier, you know, diligence can be pretty taxing. And, uh, you know, as, as is typical for a transaction of this size, um, not only is the company doing diligence, but they bring in a lot of service providers to do code reviews, to do legal reviews and that type of thing. So not only do you have the management team of the acquiring company coming in poking around, but you have their hired service providers poking around. So it is it is pretty taxing on our management team um, just trying to run, continue to run the business, which was growing like crazy and continues to grow like crazy during that time. Um, to get us to the point of having a, a definitive transaction done. So uh, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. I mean, you know, and there's some unplanned board calls that happen at, you know, 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, but uh, you work through it and get it done. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Ben, what you do to celebrate? I know Rob stopped shopping at Old Navy. He's over at Gap now, right? <laughs> so what you, what you do? We, you know, it's so funny. Um, I, we... Um, I think we, we had a we had a dinner at some point, but I think that dinner was about two or three months after yeah. uh, the the transaction. We, um, you know, the the, the new investors. I, I think anytime you you make a make an investment in a in a business and um, are, are looking to really grow and, and scale it, they were so excited about the transaction and and the deal. I, I mean, I think we worked through the transaction on a Saturday afternoon, and on Monday, um, the new team was in in our office re- ready to go. I mean, so there wasn't even a um, a 24 hour lag between um, when we you, you know when we, we we got done with with all the work and we were kind of on to the next stage of growth. And so that was actually a really fun time for our team because we were. You know, we went from being a team of 140 or 50 people to a, a team of um, 550 people overnight, and um, we, we had an opportunity to kind of combine the teams and a lot of the offices and really start to cross-pollinate um, w- with our with our employee base and things. So um, I think there was a little toast there, but uh, at the same time, we um, – we, we were kind of off to the races, but really before the the ink even hit the paper. So uh, it's it's been nonstop ever since, and uh, it's been been a lot of fun with our new partners. So the funny story from my side is that I had a uh, guys trip planned up uh, up in the Hamptons. But then, um, well, sure enough, at the same time, Ben was on vacation up at the Hamptons, so I I made my trip a day early okay. to go up and and have a toast, toast with Ben, which was really cool. And, you know, getting out to the Hamptons, by the way, is not an easy thing to do. And I, I think I made the train by 30 seconds, but made it out there. We uh, just, Ben and I and his family had had an in-house dinner, little toast. And uh, it was pretty cool um, because Ben was getting up the next morning at four in the morning to take the car to LaGuardia to come down to Charlotte and announce the transaction. Well, the one thing that I hadn't done is my son was interning at uh, at DealCloud for the summer. I could not tell him that the company was being sold. So, um, so I called him from from Ben's house and said, "By the way, you're going to see Ben tomorrow morning, and he's going to announce that the company's been sold." But this was, you know, after business hours because I didn't want him to be in the bullpen yeah. with the rest of the team and for him to slip. I think he's pretty good about it, but. The last thing we could have happen is him slip and say, oh, the company was sold. Yeah. 
So I call him at, you know, eight o'clock at night from Ben's house up in the Hamptons. And uh, I, I told him what was going on and he, he was good about it. Um, and then that, what was really exciting for me is the next morning, Ben texted me a picture with my 16 year old son with his arm around him about to announce transactions. So, cool. uh, so that was a, a really cool moment. And I'll tell you for a 16 year old kid to sit there and hear and see the reactions of all the employees that, uh, you know, the company was acquired and what the growth prospects are for, for NUCO and to sit through that was really good. And this is his third to last day of his internship. He's about to go back to high school. So it's just a really cool moment. And I, you know, the timing just worked out so well. That's awesome. So, um, so you're done now. Um, and you're still there, but we're going to pretend you're done for a little while too. Um, so early days of startups aren't always fun. They're not always easy, um, and there's uh, there's got to be some great stories. So, um, what's what's the dirty stories about Deal Cloud in the early days? What blew up, or um, just a few tidbits to just show that a it shit happens, and b that it also happens to be really fun. Yeah, I got I got a couple for you. Um, <laughs> it's uh, we probably have more than more than we have time for here. Um, it was a, I mean, we've been, we've been at this for almost 10 years. I mean, I think the idea hatched in kind of 2008 and nine and we, we made it a reality shortly thereafter. But, um, you know, the early days were really, uh, it's a lot about hustle, I think. And um, I've got two quick ones for you. So I'll never, we probably had about 50 or 60 clients at the time. Our team was maybe, maybe, you know, 10 or 15 people or something, and we um, we secured this big prospect. I won't won't name the firm on the on the podcast, but it was a a leading global private equity firm that had had taken a pretty strong interest in the technology, and um, we were we were pretty busy kind of serving our other clients, and so I went, and I flew to to do the meeting. Um, and it, you know, we I think it was about 60 stories up and a in a major city, and um, we, we went into the. Or it was I was going solo into the meeting because the rest of our team was so busy with our, our current clients, and um, the the assistant who was um, kind of greeted me and was showing me to the room. You know, we she opened the door and she said, "Hey," I said, "Hey, I'm from from Deal Cloud. You know, here for the meeting." And she said, "Well, where's your team?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, this is." You know, it's it's just me today, and um, she said, "Oh, okay." Um, you know, well, we have the whole firm in the boardroom waiting for you, and um, it was about, you know, this is a boardroom that takes up about half of a floor of a big office building, and there were about thirty-five people sitting in the room. Um, so she opens the door to the boardroom. It's probably the nicest office I've ever been in, and. and she looks at me and she says, "Good luck." <laughs> <laughs> so Ben, I mean, the average age, the average age of that room probably had to be like fifty and or maybe even sixty. And and you, if I remember correctly, I've only seen you once or met you once. You look like you're sixteen, right? I mean, that it was crazy. Yeah, it was. It was pretty. I think. Um, I think when I walked in, about seven or eight other people in the room got up and just walked out immediately, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unannounced. And, uh, you know, the long story short, we ended up winning the business um, after a pretty lengthy effort. But, um, 
you know, there's kind of, I guess there's a fair number of make-or-break moments on the way up, and that was probably um, probably one of the good ones for us. It was a pretty exciting exciting win. And I got I got one more I'll, I'll never forget because this includes real physical pain. Um, we were running around Atlanta doing meetings, and, and I think Rob and I were both there that day. I can't remember. Um, and we had divided and conquered or something or split up. And I, I jumped in an Uber to go to this next meeting, and I was late for the meeting. And... Um, you know, I'd never been to the building before or whatever, so Uber um, takes me, drops me off in this parking lot, and I get out and I go up to the building, and I realize that the building that I'm going into isn't the isn't the, isn't the right one. It's the building next door that I'm supposed to be going into. And for some reason, I mean, we're in a relatively kind of nice office park, you know, I think in the suburbs of Atlanta, and... Um, there's this massive fence between the two buildings, this big chain link fence, and I, I can't get around it because it just, you know, it looks it looks like a border between two countries, and um, and so the Uber drivers left and dropped me off, and I'm like, all right, it's gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna have to walk three quarters of a mile to get around this fence, and it's gonna take me, um, 20 minutes, and I'm I'm already five minutes late for the meeting, so. I'm in there with my suit and, and briefcase climbing up this chain link fence <laughs> and, uh, to get over it. And I literally jumped over, you know, got on top of the fence on one side and jumped over. And I, I bruised the bottom of my – I'm wearing a pair of loafers or something. Bruised the bottom of my feet so bad that I could barely walk for a couple of days after this meeting. That's awesome. Um, but we were only about 10 minutes late, and I think we I think we won that one too. Um but yeah, there's a there's a lot of a lot of war stories out there. Rob's sitting in the lobby waiting for you to say where you been, right? <laughs> he comes in sweating, <laughs> ripped suit. Yeah, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of those. And you know, the early days, it's a lot of sharing hotel rooms. Um, that Atlanta, or we did a number of Atlanta trips. But I remember Ben. I think you have a cousin or something that lives in Atlanta, so we're literally sleeping in their spare bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to save on a hotel cost. Um, you know, skip a leg on flights that that was popular back then. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, you do a lot of stuff on the on the hustle front to to make it work. Um so you know, Stephen Covey always talks about begin with the end in mind. Um so you're kind of again, you're on the flip side of it. Um are you um was this the was this the end in mind? I mean, um it was always an exit strategy. It was always never never filled the business. And um, uh, Ben, you're the CEO. Rob, you're the COO, and you run it forever. Yeah, I mean, I mean go ahead, Ben. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say we never intended this to be a lifestyle business. Yeah. that's for sure. Um, Which is, I guess, that's the question. Yeah, was it yeah. a lifestyle business yeah. or was it a? Yeah, no, we didn't want it to be a lifestyle business. Um, we wanted to. Um, we wanted to build a business that would have a healthy return for our investors, but you just never know where that's going to go. Um, and you know, we have we we had a major pivot um, in 2014, I think, um, which I can talk about. But that uh, you know, you just don't expect those to come. But I think everybody goes through a pivot. It's it's pretty normal. Um, and it turned turned out at the time we went back to our bread and butter. Which was our deal management platform, and it was not only keeping on the lights, but it was allowing us to 
hire more and more people, and that's what's really gotten us to today. Um, so we couldn't have written the script from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but the script, if looking back on it, yeah, I would have done, I think we both would have done some things differently. Um, I think both of us uh, spent both of us spent a fair amount of time in India. I certainly did. I know Ben did one trip. I think I did four. Um, a lot of those trips were ended up for not because of the pivot. Yeah. But with that said, we found two of our best developers who eventually relocated to Charlotte, still with the company today. Both of them have uh, had babies in Charlotte, um, so we're we're changing, you know, and, it, and that's. Yeah, that touches the heart. That's uh, actually making differences in people's lives. So, yeah. so that was fun. But, you know, you don't know what the script is. And uh, But uh, looking back on it, we, I think we did a lot of great things and continue to do great things. Rob, in our last uh, podcast, um, somehow I was able to hear you despite the sound quality issues mm-hmm. that I was having back then. You talked about one of the mistakes then was the premium version and how you would have charged money rather than it's hard to get somebody to go from zero to paying for something, right? What are some of the other mistakes y'all have made over the, um, and you said it, right? I mean, you made mistakes, but besides the premium, um, what are some other kind of classic things that you'd go back and do differently? And just to clarify, that was on the platform that we eventually pivoted away because um, it wasn't going to keep the lights on. Yeah. And so um, when we did pivot away from dealcloud.com, um, that was a sad day in the company. Um, I remember taking down the login that was on the website, and it was like, uh, and and I don't think Ben and I, it would be interesting to hear your perspective, Ben, but I don't think Ben and I ever looked at each other and said, we're pivoting. It was kind of like, let's take it off, but it's still out there, and it just kind of faded into oblivion. We saw the code somewhere, um, yeah. uh, backed up on, on, you know, some AWS server or something, but, uh, you know, it was just, it, it wasn't like memorialized, here's the pivot, yeah. but, uh, but we we eventually had to do that and go back to the bread and butter. Then mistakes that you do differently, what you learn? Oh, gosh. Um, waited to have more experience to um, start a company, maybe. Um, that would be I, you know, I don't. There's there's so many, um, just looking back, I mean, there's so many mistakes. And, and um, gosh, I don't even know if I can point to one in particular, but I think one of the things that, allowed us to be successful here is we um, we really did have a strong team and a pretty strong culture even even with a, with a small team um, and there were some, definitely some hard days um, you know I'll remember I remember you know one or two client losses early early on and when you've got 20 or 30 clients and, and you lose a client it's it's a it's a really big deal because you know the company has never lost a client before at, at that point when you're you know two or three years in and, and, you, and you're building and you're moving fast and you made a mistake right you didn't provide the level of service that that you should have and I can remember one or one or two of those and that happening and, and it just being an incredible shock to the team that's like hey this is possible right like if we don't do a better job serving our clients there's potential to lose them and that was kind of a new feeling or a or a new experience um, that we all went through together, and so you you, you know you, you post mortem that situation or or scenario with 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 the team and and what, what you can do better to improve. And I just re- remember those being um, challenging exercises where we were looking at ourselves internally and saying where did where did we make the mistake here, right? What what caused us to 
for, for this outcome to, to happen or, or not go our way. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was uh, there were a lot of them, but I think in the end, that the key for the for the business was being able to push through those and and really having a team that could internalize those types of mistakes and failures and 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 change course so that we didn't we didn't make the same mistake twice. Um, and we did. We, I think we did a pretty good job of that. Of you know, objectively. Um, you know, identifying where, where we had weakness and, and trying to improve on that. So, um, yeah, you know, you, you look back, there were a lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of challenging moments, but they, they seem, uh, seems like just kind of part of the normal course of business now, right? As when, when you get, get big and you get to scale, you have challenging moments every day. Um, you know, when you're working with 600 clients and 150 people. So, um, good learning experiences for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, I've told this story before. Um, I was definitely the uh, the frugal one of of uh, Ben and I's partnership on this, um, and I chinsed out on everything and asked Dan Rosselli about being cheap with uh, with our rent here at Packard Place. Um, he likes to tell that story, um, but we had a, an environment set up at Amazon Web Services, but we didn't have a a full mirrored image, you know, in a different data center or in a different, um, what they call a different zone or anything like that. So a true disaster recovery type of environment. And and we went down. Um, November 7th, 2014, I remember it like yesterday. I got the call at 2 in the morning from Raj, our, our uh, lead architect, and he told me we were down and uh, we weren't coming back up and we had to rebuild the environment from scratch. And, you know, part of that was you know, not having a, a DR environment. We, we weren't ready for that. And, but, you know, when you start standing up servers, everybody says, oh, AWS is cheap. Well, when you stand up a dev, you know, test and prod, you start rolling out all these servers, it gets pretty expensive. And I'll tell you, every month that AWS bill would come through, I, I'd lose some hair. Um, but I didn't go far enough. Um, and it was my fault that we didn't have the right environment in place. And, we were down for 36 hours while Raj rebuilt the environment from the ground up. And, uh, you know, I remember sitting in the office, you know, myself, Ben, Evan, Raj, and just, just calling customers and just saying, you know, my tail's, my tail is between my leg. I'm sorry, sorry that this has happened, but uh, we're going to get you back up and running. And the lesson we learned from that experience was just to be, was just to come clean. Yeah. You know, we were just totally honest with our customers and, 95% of them were like, we get it. Stuff happens. Um, not the end of the world. You know, we do, you know, this is the system that boots up every morning when we come into the system, but, you know, we'll live. Um, just keep us updated. And then there were a handful of clients that were pretty rough on us and, you know, want to try to negotiate some type of uh, discount for the next year. But, you know, we made it through it, but uh, I'll tell you what, we had a much more robust AWS environment thereafter. Um and uh, to make sure that that wasn't going to happen again. But it's not new, right? I mean, every entrepreneur cuts on costs, right? Yeah. So, I mean, how do you balance, you know, when you talk to entrepreneurs these days, how do you tell, I mean, all right, obviously you have a disaster recovery plan. That's your first piece of advice. But how do you tell them to balance that whole be cheap, but don't be so cheap that you cost yourself um, an opportunity in the future? What do you think, Ben? <laughs> I, um, I think it's a fair question. I think, um Listen, if anything's mission critical, you, you can't be. Um, and, 
you know, we we, st we started a, a while back, but I think in, in, in today, in 2018, as it relates to security infrastructure, recovery, continuity, I mean, you just, there's zero room for error there in the market, regardless of the size of your company, um, is, is, is going to be relatively unforgiving um, on, on these topics. So Rob and I definitely learned that lesson kind of the hard way years ago, but, you know, folks are early into their cycles today or, or, or thinking about getting started with a technology company that's going to be B2B, um, you know, you might not need to spend a dollar on going to a conference, but, you know, from a new business standpoint, but you definitely need to spend the dollar on the security and the infrastructure because there's just there's just absolutely no room for error. Um, there's there's too much risk that it uh, poses to the business to um, to cut corners there. Fair enough. Um, Rob, it's easier for me to ask you this question, but Ben, I'm going to put it on you too. Um, is this your only swing? Um, do you have a do you have another turn from an entrepreneur startup perspective? Or um, and again, Ben, I know it's a little bit harder with you because you're still with within tap, but um, is there another one in the future? Is, are you bit by the bug? Are you now a serial entrepreneur, or what's it look like? Oh gosh, um, I don't know. Rob's in a wheelchair. Um, so I know he's probably done, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fun. It's certainly um, it's fun, and when you um, and when you get one that works, it can be it can be really fun. I mean, I think. You know, this business right now today between the, the combined company, the talent, the product market fit, uh, there's just no reason that th this business shouldn't grow to be worth a billion or multiple billions of dollars at this point. We just, we, we've got the right product market fit and a huge, huge market opportunity in front of us. Um, so I think everybody who's contributed to the success of the company is pretty laser focused on helping it get fully penetrated in the market and, and kind of achieve that scale. But, um, you know, these, these aren't 20 year cycles. So, um, I'm sure, I'm sure at some point, you know, there will be, a, a, another effort, but, but right now we've, we've got a pretty big opportunity to take advantage of. Yeah. For me, William, um, you know, I had the taste, uh, 18 years ago. Um, I was with an early stage company called Ucentric. And uh, as a member of the management team, I wasn't a founder of the business. And, you know, we went on a similar ride, except it was in vogue back then to go public. Yeah. And uh, so we did have a VC investor or multiple VC investors, and we went through a couple rounds of funding, but we were laser focused on let's go public. We got all the way to the point where we filed, filed S1, we priced, and uh, it, was, it was during the market crash of 2000, March 2000. And then you have 9-11, and it, the, the company ended up not raising the money from a public offering that we expected to. We ended up still selling the business to J.D. Edwards, and it was a great ride. And, uh, you know, similar to what Ben is experiencing now with Intap, our marriage with, with J.D. Edwards was great because we were the cool kids on the block. So yeah. They were an old ERP green screen system, and they had this cool little uh, software company from Charlotte that had new client server technology back in the time. And I think it's similar with, uh, you know, with, with DealCloud. DealCloud, um, the technology is very new. Um, it's a brand new technology stack. It is super configurable and 
and it can apply to a lot of different industries as as Ben described before. But you know, I got the bug back then, and I, I said over and over again, I, I want to do it again. It's just a matter of finding the right company or the right idea. And uh, the problem with me is I'm not an idea guy. Yeah, you know, I can execute. And um, but we found we we inherited an idea almost because we had a problem at Valfurious Capital that couldn't be solved with commercial software. So, you know, between Ben and I and and some others, you know, we we designed the system and we built the system. And next thing you know, we had founded a company and uh, you know spun it out. And you know the rest it the rest is history. So got the opportunity to do it again as a co-founder with DealCloud. And it was a similar ride. We never were focused on going public, but going through the fundraising rounds and the highs and lows and just building a team that everybody's in it together and people will do whatever it takes on behalf of DealCloud, just like they would do back on uh, on behalf of Ucentric. It's, it's just a lot of fun to go through. Yeah, But it's hard work. You talk about the deal or the fundraising stage, right? Um, and it's one of the things, you know, uh, public knowledge, you got turned down by IMAF um, back in 2011 or 2012 or whatever. Um, you won some pitch competitions. You lost some pitch competitions. Talk about that whole process, right? I mean, A, did you send a copy of the, the deal terms to um, to IMAP members to, to let them know what they missed out on? or uh, <laughs> You know what? I think I've told that story before, so I'm going to let Ben answer that uh, because, and look, Ben himself probably pitched to over 100 investors, and I, I was tag teaming on some of them with him back in 2012. But, man, you talk about a grind. Fundraising was a grind, and, and Ben Ben can talk about it. They talk about the, the circuit, right? Um, and you don't have to not IMAP under the table if you don't want to. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Um, the, it, you know, it's, it's a fair question. I think um, my, my feedback to somebody who is at an earlier stage business who, who was um, looking to grow and, and, and found a business really would be that, you know, we, we kind of – I wouldn't say we split time, but we, we were spending the majority of our time trying to gr- drive the revenue of the business and, and, and grow the company. And then, you know, all the time we were trying to engage investors to build interest in the in the business from a um, capitalization standpoint. But the I think the interesting thing, is if we go back and we evaluate where our efforts yielded fruit, it, it would be – the time we spent building the company and driving sales and, 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 and driving revenue growth probably had a greater return on investment than the time we spent raising money with the intention to use that money to drive future revenue growth. So I think, you know, from, from our perspective, at least on, on this particular opportunity and what we were able to do with, with the Cloud would be raising money really isn't the end-all, be-all. You know, as an entrepreneur, if you're if you're going to go spend three or four months raising money, maybe you raise five hundred thousand or a million dollars. Um, if you spent that same three or four months trying to acquire new clients, trying to drive revenue growth, could you drive that same amount of revenue growth as the amount of money that you raised? And I think that's a really interesting question for people to kind of. In, internalize and think about it as, as, as they're building these businesses because if you're driving the revenue, you're not diluting your, your equity. 
you know, if you're raising money, you're diluting your equity and you're not driving your revenue because you're spending your time raising money. Um, so, so it can be great to have a lot of capital to work with and on, on your balance sheet and strong investors to help support the company and the growth of the company. And we, we certainly found a lot of those on, on our way up, and we're, we're very thankful for the people who supported the business and, um, you know, and we're investors and board members and things like that. But um, I, I think at the same time, there's just a, a really good case towards building a lean startup. There's a lot of books about it. Um, there's a really good case to be made towards spending your time driving revenue growth and, 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 and client growth and, and, you know, executing day to day. And if you do that well, raising money really isn't hard. I mean, if you're growing your company or company's growing fast, there will be investors that will line up to, to be a part of that. Um, so, you, you know, I would encourage anybody who's thinking about it or, or raising money to really kind of weigh the, the, the time they're spending doing that versus the time they're spending actually actually building their business because we, uh, we were much more successful with building the business in the early days than we were with, um, we were with raising money. You're too nice, man. Um, so, um, but no, um, to flip it a different direction, though, right? Um, you know, we've got investors that listen to this as well. So, I mean, what do you tell investors on that same story, right? I mean, uh, obviously, Deal Cloud was a miss for IMAP, and I'm sure some other people bypassed it as well. Um, but if you're telling entrepreneurs to try not to raise money, um, what do you tell investors to look for when entrepreneurs are raising money? Is is it a weakness or um, how would you kind of differentiate that aspect of it? You know, that's a, that's a pretty good question. I think, um, Rob, you can probably weigh in here, but um, the investors that we ended up with here were were individuals and institutions that knew our end market and our client base and this type of software product like the back of their hand. I mean, we ended up working with, with folks who had such deep industry knowledge and such deep relationships and capability in our end market that we were serving that when they got involved in the business, they really grew the business. So we were working on it all day, every day, but our investors were so active in helping us get it to the next level. Um, and that was really a pleasure. Um, you know, we, uh, there are a lot of folks who contributed to that, but you know, Joe Maxwell and Rick Cashell and the team at FinTop and um, other folks who have, have really been kind of key contributors to that. And so I would tell the investors, I think helping entrepreneurs beyond capital is the most important thing because there's certainly a lot of alternative asset capital in the market and a lot of interest in that asset class. And, um, you know, if you can bring an entrepreneur or a company, a client, and you can show them a path towards revenue growth, or you can help them with their HR hiring strategy, or you can help them with their technology development. There are just so many ways to impact these businesses. And I think a lot of the best investors out there right now have a strategy to do that with, with every target company that they make an investment in. So, um, you know, appealing, appealing to the company entrepreneur beyond capital, I think, is a, a really important, important aspect of being an investor today. Same thing, Rob. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't have said it better. 
So, um, Ben, Rob's become a rock star down here in Charlotte. Um, he's on like the speaking circuit and, you know, people wave to him when he walks down the street. Um, you're up there in New York and, you know, a little bit different, right? Um, but you've seen this whole entrepreneurial community build here in Charlotte, um, kind of behind y'all, right? I mean, same thing. I mean, you know, you're a rock star. You know, a lot of people look up to what y'all done and how you've exited and how the business grew and stuff like that. Um, and I know you still come back from time to time. What's it? But for the most part, you're looking at it from afar, right? You're almost looking um, through binoculars or something. What's it been like watching this whole startup system here in Charlotte grow as you come back in and, and check on it from time to time? Well, I mean, look, look, I think it's awesome. I think it's center stage. I think you're seeing, um, you know, a lot of these these growth equity venture investors call, if, if you're not in New York or San Francisco, they kind of call the other territories a flyover states, right, because they're, they're on the plane flying over the state from New York to California, where a lot of this capital support in these businesses. And you know, Charlotte has really done an incredible job building this ecosystem. And I, know, I mean, you have big businesses that have successfully scaled and built companies there like LendingTree and Red Ventures and big, just big tech companies we all look up to like Avid Exchange and, and, and some of these other ones. So you, so you, have, you have real unicorns, right? I mean, so it's a proven town from an HR standpoint in terms of ability to recruit and build teams, got incredible airport, university system, great candidate pool um, to pull from in, in terms of that North Carolina system. And, and so it really, I think, is on the map, and you have this next wave of companies, right, um, with Level and Passport and Trisada. I mean, just great businesses that are, are big now and are growing fast and have attracted a lot of interest from from, from you know investors across the U.S. So I'm super excited. I mean, the majority of our team um, re remains in, in Charlotte. I mean, it is our biggest office um, and, and our, our fastest growing, um, fat fastest growing part of our business. And we just we're getting some new office space. We're moving into um, the new Bearings building there, and and we've got this beautiful new space that's going to support kind of the next round of growth for our team and so we're looking to hire a lot more in town um you know we're we're uh we're moving on to kind of that next generation of of space and and vision for the company and uh you know we, we love it i mean charlotte's been a been a great place for our business and it's awesome to watch it from uh from afar and if you would have told me in 2014 when we had seven people in a tiny little closet with windows here at Packard Place, that the building catty corner to us that was being built would be the future home of Deal Cloud. I would have told you you were crazy. Um, but uh, that's that's where we're going uh, early next year, which is, uh, which is really exciting for the team. Um, ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it'll be built to, the square footage will be built out to handle upwards of 125 or 150 people here in Charlotte. So there's there's some great growth prospects of the office here. That's fantastic. That was one of the things I was kind of curious about with the acquisition. Would Deal Cloud keep a presence here in Charlotte long term? And so the answer to that seems without a doubt. And as Ben said, it's the it's the fastest growing office. Um, it's the execution office. So okay. um, it'll continue to grow, um, continue to hire people in Charlotte, invest in Charlotte. So I think it's a it's a great story. And and you've seen that with some of the companies that Ben mentioned. Um, 
taking on new offices that uh, have a lot of square footage because they're putting putting uh, butts in seats and uh, you know adding to and that's the story that Dan Rosselli told in 2012 when we decided to set up shop here is that uh, you know if you have enough uh, early stage companies the ones that are successful are going to have an impact on uh, unemployment or I should say employment here in Charlotte and uh, and, and growing our ecosystem and so. Um, not only have we continued to grow here in Charlotte, but we've brought in employees from out of town. Um, William, you know our whole relationship with Venture for America. So none of our VFA um, associates have come from or fellows have come from Charlotte. They've all come from out of town. They're planning routes here, and, uh, and, and that's the process working. It takes time, though, um, and I think that's what, what you're saying. But we didn't have any uh, – when we started at Packer Place, there was no accelerator. There was no venture funding. There was no – there was no anything. There was no support groups. There was no podcast. Yeah. You know, so none of this stuff existed when we started. So it's cool to see it grow. So speak about that a little bit, though, right? So y'all started Deal Cloud in 2008, um, 2008, 2009, I guess, um, what Ben alluded to earlier. Um, and it's 2018 – um, I'm not an economist um, by any stretch of the imagination, but there's there's probably a recession coming sometime within the next couple of years. Um, and I'm of the opinion that Charlotte's a, a, a good little place to take advantage of that. Um, there's a lot of people that unfortunately will probably be laid off, and there's a lot of people from that that can start companies. Um, so what do you say to folks that have concepts or ideas um, in the face of the next recession, the opportunities that exist, right? How do you how do you start to execute new startups in today's world? What would be your advice to your kids if that was them, right? Because that's essentially it, right? All these new founders are kind of like y'all's little kids that have come up from underneath y'all and looked up to you and everything else. So what do you say to those folks? <clears throat> um, I, I would say get out of the comfort of, uh, of the bank. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of a lot of ideas being generated, but um, it, it's a scary jump. And uh, you know, you go from a, a nice salary, a nice predictable um, day. Um, you go from a uh, probably nice bonus in February, and, <laughs> and you know, you jump off, and you, you know, you don't have any of that comfort again. And, and look, you know, I'm not one to say. <clears throat> You know, the the path that Ben and I took, you know, actually spinning the deal cloud out of a private equity firm was an, you know, unconventional path and it worked. You know, Ben and I weren't at the bank and we weren't doing that, but still there was there, there was a lot of risk involved. And, you know, I'll let Ben speak for himself, but, uh, you know, how to take a significant pay cut um, and just an incredible track record that Ben had already built in private equity and investment banking. And that's a very desirable route to go, as you know. And uh, Ben had the the guts to to jump out into a software company. It's like, what what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so, but that's what you got to you got to jump. You got to leap. Can we talk about that, Ben? I mean, I was looking at your um, LinkedIn page earlier. I mean, Rob's right. I mean, right. You had a um, you had a classic trajectory that you were heading in on, and um, you, know, you did what I think a number of people should be doing here over the course of the next two to four years. So, how did you um, how did you come to grips with that, or was it a no brainer in your in, in your mind at the time? No, I, I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not sure it's a no brainer. Um, I think 
had anybody thinking about it should be acutely aware of the risk involved. I mean, um, we're in a very fortunate position here where the, the company has been successful and um, continues to be. Um, and, and just that doesn't happen for, you know, more than the majority of, of businesses that are started. So for every success story there, there is a lot of failure out there. And failure is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be a a challenging thing on the on the pocketbook or the wallet um, for for a couple of years. So I think you know assessing the opportunity and really really vetting the idea um, and the concept and making sure that there is product market fit and making sure that you have a deep understanding of the competitive landscape. So before you make a leap, you know you're not taking unnecessary risk in, in doing that. You're, you know, you're making a decision to go forward with a, with a plan that is really thoroughly and properly vetted, and then once you make the decision, just realize how big of an effort and oftentimes how long of a road it is to um, to build these businesses. I mean, we've, we're almost 10 years into, in, into the effort here, and I think if you look at the return statistics for a lot of the venture firms that invest, you know, in the earlier stage asset class, um, unlike some of the later stage investors, you know, it really is a seven to ten year process for investing that capital and returning that capital investors. So, so that's a pretty good barometer, I think, of how long it takes these companies to mature and be successful. Um, it, it's a pretty, pretty meaningful commitment. So, I think, you know, being very aware and cognizant of the of the opportunity and and and, and not rushing into a decision and making sure it's thoroughly vetted, and then just also realizing the, the commitment that's required and how, how long it can take. Um, you know, if you're 30 or 40 years old, you you may only have two or three shots at doing this. You know, in 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 your career, and I think you, you don't want to you don't want to use a bullet unnecessarily. I mean, you know, make the leap and go for it, but but do so in a very concerted manner. Um, with, with some serious work beforehand. So. Makes good sense. One more question, and I'll let you go. We're coming up on an hour here. Um, is, uh, you know, Rob talked about it earlier, and Rob, you can expand on it. Is it a neat opportunity for um, your son, who was interning, to kind of be there on the, um, on the quote unquote exit day? Um, but what would you tell your, you know, um, what you tell your grandkids? You know, uh, Rob, in two or three years, and twenty or thirty years from now, right? So, um, what's what you know? What's that kind of moral or lesson or or everything else for for the next generation or two two generations down? Well, you, you know, my I, I'm in that phase right now because I have a I have a daughter in college and a, a son that's a junior in high school. So, you know, the advice is what to go study, what I want to do. And my daughter took a pass. She's doing child psychology. Yeah. There's none of that in my blood or my yeah. wife's blood. But it's a know, hard she, startup pass. Yeah, that's a hard. <laughs> and by the way, there's a lot of schooling behind that. <laughs> Talking about getting off the, uh, the the family payroll. But uh, you know, but for her, it's it's what she's passionate about. Yeah. And you know, she came across this as a sophomore in high school. So um, I think my advice to to my children has been just go after what you're passionate about. Um, so, and it doesn't have to be to be an entrepreneur or to you know, start a business or to go in banking or whatever, but it's, it's whatever your, 
you're passionate about that you're going to get excited every morning, not only in college to go study, but then post-college to, to go and, and start your career. So uh, I, think that's, I think that same advice holds true, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, um, just follow what you're passionate about. Ben? Um, that's a good question. I, I think it, it's really fun when you um, get to be part of a high-growth business. And, uh, you you know, our team has grown so rapidly, and we have 140, 50 people part of this core platform. And, um, you know, with the combined business, it's nearly 600. And I... I think if you have an opportunity to be part of a high-growth business that you should jump at it and, and take it. Um, you know, that might not necessarily mean joining a startup with two people, but it, it could mean joining a slightly later stage business that's going from 100 to 200 or 300. Um, it's really fun to work at a company like that, and usually it, it includes a great community of people who are very encouraged by, by the growth of the business. So I think one of the the biggest takeaways I've had from this experience so far has been how awesome it is to build a network of colleagues that spans the globe and that's really large, right? Um, the, the folks who are contributing to, who have contributed to Deal Called Success and who continue to have this massive network of people that are part of this business now. And um, I think if anybody's listening here and, and thinking about being a part of one of those businesses, um, especially if it's de-risked a little bit where the, the company has product market fit and has already grown to, to the point where, um, you know, it looks like it's going to be very successful. That can be a, a great decision to make in your, in your life and in your career. And I would, I would certainly encourage uh, folks closest to me to, to do something like that. So, um, Ben, when are you going to come back to Charlotte and join Rockstardom that, um, that Rob has? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, back and forth to Charlotte on the, on the plane with our team pretty frequently. So uh, I'm going to catch you guys on Trade and Try on here probably <laughs> next week. <laughs> believe me, lots of people in Charlotte know Ben. That's funny. So, uh, but I, I think uh, one thing to, to say about Ben is uh, just his willingness to give back to the community, even though he's in New York, um, but there's, he's got a big network here and Ben. Ben, thanks for joining this, but, you know, continuing to do stuff with uh, the young entrepreneurs here in the, in the Charlotte region. Yeah, now y'all are both, um, again, I've said it a couple of times, y'all are both usually looked up to and, and big supporters of the community, and I know everybody appreciates it. And it's, um, again, I've um, had the pleasure of knowing Rob for a couple of years now, and Ben, it's nice to kind of finally meet you here as well. And enjoyed having you both on the show, and uh, maybe we can bring you back a couple of years from now and talk about your next startup. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great. Thank you for having us. This is this is a lot of fun. Really appreciate you including us in your uh, in your series. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, William. Thanks. William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey and Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey and Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. 
Seacrest Blakey and Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.